0: Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's podcast. Today we have on Marcus Shields, who is an artist administrator working primarily at the intersection between theater and classical music. I love the word intersection between theater and classical music. He's uh, worked slash directed at companies such as The Met, Santa Fe, Opera Theater, St. Louis, Curtis, Juilliard, Chicago Lyric, et cetera, et cetera. Check out his website. It keeps going on. He's the co-founder of Osea, which is a new media production company, consulting firm, and think tank committed to producing an alternate way to enjoy opera. Also something that I love. He was the first executive director at Catapult before I took over his position, but thankfully he's agreed to stay on as our digital projects manager and gets to deal with all of my emails when I say, Marcus, fill me, and I have no idea what's going on. Uh, (laughs) He's been super busy during the pandemic uh, learning to do video as a producer, director, DP, editor, audio. He just decided to take the the pandemic and, and roll with it, so he has all kinds of new works coming out, so... There's a lot to talk about here, Marcus. You've been super busy. Welcome I to our podcast. I'm excited to jump in. Man, I Thank swept you. the shop you so today. Much. You like took over an entire new company. That's great. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. what was your what was your life leading up to this? What was your trajectory?
1: Trajectory. Um, yeah, it's trajectory. like trajectory. Yeah man it's terrifying to have your bio read back to you because you're like my gosh I'm you're like
0: a i God. sound awesome <laughs> yeah, no i don't think so <laughs> i
1: like i am too, i'm too cognizant of that i wrote that bio and so it's it all just feels like what does any of that mean um, <laughs> intersection of classical music but anyways um uh, so thank you first thank you for having me it's such a pleasure to talk to you both this evening um i so trajectory wise i have been a little all over the map but i started as a singer um my parents are both deep classical music lovers my mom's an incredible pianist and so i always sort of grew up with classical music in my life and um i came into music via percussion i played i was really into jazz and i wanted to play the drums and so when I was 11 or so I convinced my parents to get me a drum set and just started banging away but I'm sure they um, loved it yeah they loved it it was very exciting for them Um, (laughs) it was the cliche yeah Uh, and then at a certain point I um I'm from South Carolina and South Carolina is not as a as a state a very supportive place for the arts except it has um, a school called the Governor's School, which a few states have summer versions or some and some permutation of this. But it's essentially a public school that's a residential high school that specializes in art or in or mathematics. It's mathematics and sciences. Um, um, so I initially went in for acting, and then really, you know, decided I like singing and went to college for singing and also was really into history. So I decided I would do musicology and was in college doing that and then went to grad school and somewhere in grad school realized that I I loved music, but that performing wasn't the way that I most appreciated it. And so um, I'd always been interested in theater. And while I was in college, did a lot of music directing and did a lot of directing and just had my hand in both sides. I went to a school that encouraged a lot of Uh, exploration in that regard and so yeah at a certain point in grad school I just said I'd like to direct something I think that that would be something that I could do when I was at CCM which I know is um, a school that we share Cindy Mm -hmm. um, uh, and probably a trauma that we share I don't know
0: I'm sure she wasn't going to bring that up until you did. (laughs) Well, the funny thing is, I was just talking to an MT student that I went to school with, and he said the same thing. He was like, "I'm trying to teach students now that and not give them the traumatic experience that I had in school." And I was like, "I appreciate that."
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's wild. My goodness. Um, Were you at grad school at CCM? I did. I did a master's degree, and I did an artist diploma, and I did my master's in singing. But right when I got there, I I I started you know, I got to CCM and it was a, I think it was a pretty classic example of just being in a class of people that were radically talented. And I felt like I was a good singer and I was a very, you know, I connected a lot with the intellectual side of it. And I loved studying and knowing the poetry and getting deep in like that. Um, But I just didn't, the raw talent, I think I would just see my colleagues perform and I would just go, well, if that's, who I have to compete against, my gosh, like, um, but meanwhile, I would watch them perform and I would go, well, you know, I feel like I could help them be better versions of themselves. You know, I feel like I'm watching their performance and I have ideas about how it can simplify or how it could clarify in these ways that I go, wow, you're such a radically talented voice, but you know, you do this weird thing with your arm and like, for whatever reason, no one's telling you about it. You know,
0: it's always the arms.
1: I know really singing hard. is you got well I like to think it's because um it's because your body when you're singing some people are very head up and your body's just trying to help you you know your body's trying to help you get energy underneath you or do something to support it and so your arm starts doing something weird <laughs> I don't know maybe that's uh that's not a real theory but I... <laughs> no that's a great theory Like, <laughs> I
0: also think voice teachers at, I don't know we took choir for a while but voice teachers are always getting you to do these things with your hands you know like lift your palate do this and so you're just like used to moving your hands so then when you're on stage your hands are just like all over the place
1: yeah yeah exactly it's better
0: than just um, being in your pockets all pockets should be yeah. sewn closed
1: unless that's a choice in which case hopefully it's the right choice but uh, <laughs> cause it's a strong choice you know if you're going to keep your hands in your pockets the whole time um, exactly
0: have you ever done
1: street scene have you, you i've seen it
0: scene? but i've never done it
1: um, there's a there's a tenor aria from that called lonely house where the only the 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 only possible staging that anyone can imagine for it is tenor puts hands in pockets and sheepishly kicks rock down the street you know while yes. singing the song um
0: charlie brown
1: exactly yeah exactly so anyways yeah ccm and then i got into directing and then i yeah i i've always had a broad interest and directing has always been a weird thing because i think directing is one of these uh is one of these professions that a there's no clear path there and b, um there's not really a clear definition of what it means because you can, as I know you both well know, you can meet a director and depending on what their context is and what they're interested in and what kind of theater, what kind of opera they do, it's not even the same job, you know, some Mm -hmm. people do a very weird version of it. Some people do a very traditional version of it. And I, I personally like that. I like that. It's a catch all term that just means, you know, creator of an artistic idea. And so, that felt like a good fit. And, um, I spent a lot of time working in opera houses as an assistant, as an associate director. Um, I spent a lot of time in institutions. I went back and I taught at CCM. I've gone through the whole rigmarole, all the summer programs and all that nonsense. And now I'm just sort of at this place where I feel like, well, the thing that's most interesting is just finding what I personally have to say about opera or classical music. And, trying to gather the tool set around me or skill set and um, and then make it happen make the you know I figure that no one's going to ask me to make the opera that I kind of want to make so I just have to do it if I want to
0: do it that's exactly how I feel (laughs) like well then I'll just create my own this is what I feel like doing
1: and then you end up running yeah (laughs) you end up starting companies you know yeah, yeah, exactly. done
0: that. I love that that you said creator of an artistic idea because yeah, like what what is a director? Yeah, I I've never know. thought about it that way, but it's great cuz I've been like the opposite. As a technical director, I don't care what the show is. Like it could be a drama, it could be a musical, it could be an opera, and I'm still building a set and it's still basically the same idea of building a set and putting it on stage and getting crew to make that set. You know, move or work or things fly in and out, but it's always kind of the same thing. Whereas a director, it's so varied. Yep, definitely highlighted that one, twin.
1: <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> I, is. I highlight no, my notes I, because
0: it's it's so cool to like people come up with things and you're like, yes, that's excellent.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I am still I'm still I tried to teach directing to people and I am always. I always get caught in the struggle of just even defining what it is. You sort of say, well, you're the person in charge of the idea or, or you're, I mean, in charge, whatever that means. You're, you're, you know, you are gathering people towards a project and um, shepherding people along through a project. And, and I think that I personally find that a lot of, to be a lot of fun though. Um, yeah. I mean, it can be, it can mean anything It can mean it can mean somebody who's interested in, you know, staging a very illustrative, you know, by the books, paint by numbers kind of version. You know, it can mean somebody who is only interested in doing the weirdest, coonstiest version of something, you know. <laughs> um, and both are both, you know, both are acceptable terms. And I, and it can also mean like the terrifying person who screams and, you know, shakes their fist at the front of the room. And it can also mean, you know, this sort of very soft presence in the center of a creative process that is trying to, you know, lift and gather and push things forward. And I I love that it's such an expansive role.
0: We've described, like, to the point, so many different people I know. Like, oh, yeah, the sitting in the front of the room screaming. Yep, yep. Dealt with that one. Oh, very <laughs> yeah. friendly and getting everyone to work together. Yeah, that, I like that one. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So, is this how Osea came about? Was trying to decide what it is you wanted to do, and then creating a entity to make that happen,
1: sort of. or how did it come about? Well, Osea came about because for for a few different reasons. One was the pandemic, because it's very much an idea that you try and you know, and it it's lovely to have, but in the normal pace of life, it's hard to take the amount of time that you need to take off to really get one of these things incubated. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, what it came from is, and so I'm, I'm one of four people in this group, right? There's my partner, Patricia Wesley, who's a professional singer. And then there's Joseph Latanzi, who's a really fabulous baritone. Uh, and Alyssa Martin, who's also a really fabulous um, mezzo, soprano, you know, undefined, excellent singer kind of person. Um, and we all, I think, have our own impulses towards it. Mine came because I grew up and I was a really intense skateboarder. I loved skateboarding so much. And I, when I first started, uh, skate, skateboarding was this like culture that was very much, you know, community by community. It was a very local thing. And, um, and that was in the nineties and, and over the last, I would say 20 years, I've watched skateboarding become this thing that was incredibly niche and incredibly, you know, fringe culture um, become something that is a massive commercial entity uh, that has a huge, um, uh, huge market share and also is going to be in the Olympics, you know, it was supposed to be in the 2020 Olympics. You yeah, know? I think it
0: was just and- added as not uh, pretty recently added as an Olympic sport.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It, and I mean, I don't know that that's the, the pinnacle of like broad commercial appeal because there's sports in the Olympics that I've never heard of. But um, <laughs> yeah. but I've, I mean, it's been amazing to see that. And I think what it what it inspired to me was just this feeling that opera, it's no secret that opera specifically has this really serious problem about audience development Um, especially American opera, you know, especially the American operatic culture and industry has a really, really, really hard time building audience, has a really hard time connecting with broad pop culture and and is, I find to be pretty, you know, you know, sclerotic and bad and just more or less uninterested in what that project is. I mean, I say that from a company perspective. And so, yeah, I mean, what I wanted to do is sort of one of the ways that skateboarding has become so big is YouTube is been, been this way that it as an art form, as a activity, as a sport is able to broadcast itself out and make itself as widely available as possible. So that somebody who has no reference point or somebody who doesn't already understand the codes and the languages of it can stumble upon it and go, Oh, this is a totally inviting way in it's not scary it it doesn't have that same kind of intensity of um you know walking into a a space that you don't feel comfortable in and and trying to understand what's happening so Mm -hmm. yeah Osea Osea really at the heart was about making finding a way using social media using youtube using the massive amount of free and you know, open source media available and just trying to get opera, you know, operatic culture. The thing that I love about opera is broadcast to as many people as possible. And it's, it's a,
0: no. Oh no. I was going to back up and ask how you got into opera, but if you're continuing on. Yeah. See ya. Then yeah.
1: (laughs) I got into opera. Why did I get into opera?
0: Because you started as a singer. In... You did jazz. Yeah. You did skateboarding. You went to CCM, which is more musical theater, and now you support opera. Like, how did? Where yeah. did the opera kind of come in there?
1: I sort of decided pretty early on about opera. I partially because it was just really hard. I mean, the honest <laughs> truth is, I I I've, I'm very fortunate because I've had a lot of, um, you know, my parents. My mom was when she, she went to Eastman. And she used to play voice lessons and because she and she used to play for the opera there. So she just sitting around our house in Columbia, South Carolina, well, is, you know, is this really great collection of sheet music, of opera scores and things like that. At a certain point, I got tricked into being in choir when I was in high school. And nice. and then I really like music theater. I mean, I just like I was like sort of in that cohort where I was like hit by Wicked and hit by you know, Spelling Bee and hit by all these things were, like, really, you know, it felt like so much excitement and energy and creativity was happening on Broadway in that one moment. Spam a lot. Um, and uh, and then somebody was like, yeah, well, you know, I think somebody in my choir was just like, opera, or, yeah, music theater is great, but you know what's really hard is opera. And that made my brain do pop rocks, and I really liked that, that idea that that there's like a harder version of something like there's the hardest version of singing or something like that. And I wanted to do that. And then
0: that's what I want to (laughs) do.
1: It is. And, and I, and really what it was is then I went home and I listened to Bohem. I listened, I just like downloaded, I Googled it or looked it up on iTunes or whatever, or I don't even know. Uh, And listened to a recording with a score and it was sort of from then on. That was in high school. And so when I went to school, I was always with an opera track. I was always like I would say I'm like hyper nerdy in that direction in that direction. Like I really loved, you know, I when I went to college, I studied musicology. I wanted to get into the history and like get really in the weeds on it all.
0: There's a lot of history in it. I love the history part of, of opera.
1: Yeah. Me too. I mean it's such a, it's such a, uh, expansive repertoire, you know, you can sort of find anything in there, you know, and, and opera is a very, you know, we all have this idea about what opera is, but Mm -hmm. opera is so big and so wide and so much bigger than any one person's idea of it. And I think that's really exciting. You know, I, there, there's not, not really anything else like that. I mean, Maybe there is. I don't know what I'm talking about. But I, <laughs> you know, I, like I think about music theater and I'm like, I know what music theater is, you know, and I, I can sort of hold the, you know, the entire soundscape of musical theater from like origins, you know, even light opera, whatever that that space was into golden age, into contemporary, into what's happening right now, can hold it in my head and sort of understand what it sounds like. But opera, it's impossible. Like, it's just so vast, you know. But
0: musical theater is also more or less American-based in the last couple hundred years, whereas yeah. opera came from Europe. What? What did it start in uh, France and went to Germany and England and? But like hundreds. Italy claims it. Italy claims Italy, it. Okay, yeah. somebody somebody claims it. But like it goes again. It goes like over countries, over decades, over centuries Wars that have been fought and lost and lines redrawn on the map and stuff like that. And America still like, we do musical theater. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: That's very true. It is. Yeah. You're, you're right. I mean, but that, and that's sort of amazing is opera is this thing that's been passed around yeah. through time and through culture, through different nationalities, through different. Yeah. And every single person, every single yeah, a person who picks it up and plays with it, changes it, you know, they sort of branch it off into this other thing. And that's really exciting. And it's happening like right now, you know, it's, it's, it's concurrent. It's one of these things that if you were to just go by the, what the Met programs or, you know, or what major opera companies program, you would think it stopped it, you know, the early 20th century, but it's, it's happening and it's a lot, it's such an alive art form. And, um, I just hope that audience, my whole thing is like, I hope that people, it can connect back up with popular culture and it can keep growing an audience. Like it can, it can rejuvenate, you know, right now it seems like people of a certain age really like it, you know, or, or have a fan base in it, you know, and it's not replenishing.
0: (laughs) At a certain age, I was like, I I think you're meaning the older crowds because.
1: I think so. Yeah.
0: (laughs) See, I'm a little spoiled because i I got into opera more when Cindy got into opera, but then she came out to Long Beach Opera and they do more contemporary stuff,
1: yeah, Long Beach and is so, such a cool company
0: so we we worked there for years, and so I know a lot more of the contemporary stuff and their audience base though had some older people had quite a few younger people. but I know Long Beach is very different than the rest of the entire you know country or world of who goes to see opera. A lot of people still think, I mean, I still think it's entertaining, but up until like four years ago, I had never done, well, I still hadn't do, haven't done most of the traditional pieces. Like I've never done,
1: I know. Yeah, you know, you.
0: I've never done, I've never done a, a Figaro, I've done Barber, I've never done Lucia, you know, there's like all of these things that I've just never done. And so many people are like, these are the staples of opera. And I'm like, yeah, but I mean, I've done Nixon in China, I've done Death of Klinghoffer, I've done, you know, um, difficulty of crossing a field, but I've not done, like, you know, these traditional ones that every opera person knows. I I, I am waiting for you to do the Ring Cycle, because if it doesn't have an actual dragon in it, I'm going to be very upset. (laughs) Okay, uh, well, that's why I haven't done it yet. I just (laughs) haven't found the right dragon. I
1: did, when I was at CCM, I had to direct a Domineo and I got to direct to Domineo. It was such a, it was a really beautiful experience. I love that, it. That music that is gorgeous. Show, it's a really special show. Uh, and it's a very slow show. It's like totally boring. Um, and which is something I guess you're not supposed to say, but like, it's so boring. And I mean, <laughs> if you're, if you can slow your mental metabolism down to the right speed, it's, it's an extraordinary experience. You know, it's like, it's, it's like meditating, you know, or, or something like that that has, a, you know, there's a lot of resistance to it. But if you can sink in, you can really open yourself up. And, but the whole thing about Idomeneo is there's supposed to be the whole plot device is that the, you know, Neptune sends this sea monster, you know, at the end of the second act to destroy the city, you know? And the whole thing about it is like, When when people heard I was directing a Domineo, they're like, "What are you going to do with that sea monster?
0: How are you going to (laughs) direct that sea monster?"
1: I was like, "That's going to they like they thought that was going to be like this amazing." They're like, "I hear it has a sea monster." Like all the design students at CCM were like trying to like think about it, and I was like, "Okay, there's not going to be a sea monster. It's like a metaphor, you know. (laughs) It's philosophy. You can't. I mean, you can't realistically expect people to like sit through two hours of like slow early Mozart." (laughs) <laughs> and then all of a sudden like spend all of your money like pulling out a paper mache. I don't even know how you would do it, but
0: well it's like the magic flute, you know? That's what you, you expect the monster at the beginning and you expect all the little animals to come out when he you know, yeah. when the flute plays and that's where all your money goes. If,
1: if you have a schizillion dollars and you can do the Cirque du Soleil version, then I think that's great. But if, <laughs> if you're doing it in a conservatory, you gotta think about some other things.
0: <laughs> I still want a dragon. A,
1: I know, yeah. Don't listen
0: to him! You'll need a dragon! <laughs> Look, I already said I don't is, do oh. traditional opera. Yeah, but it's Wagner! I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mostly That's just want to go to Bayreuth, so you probably won't yeah. get there, sorry.
1: <laughs> I think you will love I mean, the the, the the war horses are special. I mean, everyone, like I spend a lot of time moaning about there's only 50, pe- opera only ever does 50 pieces. Mm-hmm. And for good reason. I mean, we should all moan about that, but at the same time, those 50 pieces are great. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's the challenge.
0: Yeah, that's true. I am starting to appreciate Bohem on my like third or fourth time around. So, you know, I'm making, <laughs> yeah. I'm making a little bit of progress. What was the other yeah. show I did recently? That was like my first, I can't remember, but I was very proud of myself for like hitting another like important show that I should have known all along.
1: Barber and potatoes.
0: No, I've I should I was about to do that for the third time. That's like one of the only traditional pieces I've done. Barber and um, bohem. I don't remember. Yeah. So what what have you guys been working on? What are some of the ways that you have started? trying to use social media and the interwebs to get opera out there. You have this thing called questionaria. Is that how you pronounce it?
1: <laughs> yeah. And you said it
0: with the proper question. <laughs> <laughs> <Questionaria. laughs> well, I was looking uh, at it because you have uh, Brian Boo was one of the one, somebody yeah. that you had on, I think it's episode five. And uh, I just yeah. worked with him recently on our recording of uh, Rose Elf.
1: Rose off, yeah yeah um what are the ways so <laughs> youtube okay so there's a million ways to talk about this and like i i always oscillate between do you talk about the idea or do you talk about in reality what it is so like hmm. let's just say the idea of it is this big grand project what it actually is is a youtube channel right and and basically, you know, the idea—we all sat around at the pan, you know, at the start of the pandemic, going like, wh- "Why is it that everyone can connect about sports in this like mass cultural way? Why is it that you can go anywhere in the world and like have a, a meaningless conversation with somebody about football?" And I personally, <laughs> I mean, it's I true. I like sports. I guess I mean I love like wh- like being in attendance at that, but I you know i don't know that i know the rules of football
0: oh I, I i've think. had it explained to me so many times and i still have no idea what's going on yeah but you've yeah. hooked on baseball i can do baseball baseball
1: no. well baseball is so baseball is baseball is a very baroque sport you know it's very um it's <laughs> I don't like i think i've
0: ever heard somebody call it a baroque sport <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's like uh, what is it about baseball that's so interesting it's it's um it's such a like dirty like spitten like tobacco nasty like kind of sport well American like (laughs) but it has the intricacy of like the fussiest tea party you know the rule there's like Mm -hmm. a million rules and it's the most fussy game ever there's a rule for everything (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. you know
1: it's Mm -hmm. so there's statistics for
0: everything too I'm like who is even keeping track of this statistic like the first inning the first pitch with this but particular person in the last five years and i was like who cares like where are you even getting these numbers from but yeah it is very um yeah tea party-ish interesting I've that never heard it that's never i never thought baroque i think baroque (laughs) and i think like very detailed ornate gold leaf uh over the top i don't usually relate those things to baseball
1: yeah, it's not visually baroque, but it's um, <laughs> conceptu- It's like conceptually baroque or something like that. It's it's the most intricate game ever. It has a million rules, um, and and there's so many ways. I yeah, I think the statistical element is always very interesting. But uh, to go back to the question about it, so yeah, you know, it's basically we started this thing because we we wanted we had ideas about it and we just wanted to play. And we wanted to figure out how to do it ourselves. We didn't want to ask anyone's permission to do it. And the idea is just to play around with different forms. How do you turn opera into a game? How do you turn it into wait, wait, don't tell me? How do you make it an interview? How do you make it personal? How do you make it about the weird obsession? How do you make it about the culture, the personal culture? Um, You know, I sort of learned about opera by listening to people that were really passionate about it, talk about it, you know? Mm -hmm. and complete with their own opinions downloaded into all that information
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um and that was a really nice way in for me I mean I I think that um listening to people talk about the culture they love is always a good way to to you know have a curation and so anyways I mean all of it is just to say right now the opportunity, you know, there's a bunch of different series on there. There's the question, the question that you referenced is, <laughs> uh, it's just a, an inter It's an interview, you know, it's about, you know, it's playing around with ways to, um, to shift up the form of, of making the personal interview part of opera a little bit more enlivened. Um, uh, it's you know we do a drop the needle game called guess that voice there's something called song Mm. association there's a lot of video essay kind of stuff you know but mostly it's an experiment it's like we just keep trying and throwing things against a wall and if it works it works if it doesn't we'll try something new but it's a little laboratory experiment and there's been some things that have worked and like opera companies have watched it and said like oh we really like this you know will you come and consult on on a project with us so we just did the glimmer Glass gala you know we just did oh, a big cool. project for opera columbus um
0: what did you uh, do with opera columbus
1: well they they're about to do um giovanni mm-hmm. um, in a couple of weeks and so we basically created a you know some major part of a social media campaign and a, basically a communication strategy for how to like roll out, you know, promotional material for that, that is community oriented, that gives different perspectives on Giovanni, you know, and which is a really, you know, Giovanni specifically is a really, I've seen that show 10 times and I have no idea what happens in it, you know?
0: So, <laughs> one I've of seen the it twice, que- but yeah, yeah, it's another one I've not done before.
1: Too. That's very. That's like the only opera
0: I've, only classic opera I've done is Don Giovanni. Really? No, you've done like Aida. Oh yeah, uh, I forget. That was the first one then, because I did that one in college. Don Giovanni was in college. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I forget about Aida. I think I've done that one like twice.
1: I love Aida. That's a great show.
0: (laughs) I do like Aida too. Yeah.
1: And you mentioned Trovatore. I hope you get to do Trovatore. That is like one of those shows that is so weird and makes no sense you know it's I think about this a lot as a director where there's just so much of opera that's bad plot <laughs> terrible plot you know oh, yeah like no one even tried to write a good plot here um and and sort of you realize that opera is only a little bit about plot you know that it's only mm-hmm. one part there's maybe maybe opera is about 10 things or maybe any given productions about 10 different things but plot is not the most important thing you know
0: because well, like a lot of times
1: sports.
0: yeah i think a lot of times it was written because they had a singer who could sing something so they wrote a bunch of arias for that singer and then they're like ah oh, we need to make this like 2 hours so that people hang around totally <laughs> this That's is why i didn't it. like bel canto opera um sorry teatro novo but i didn't like bel canto opera for years and years because i would read the words and it would be like two sentences, and there'd be a 12 minute aria. And I'm like, we're only saying the same sentence over and over and over. It's just you're saying it with different notes every time. And like, can we move on to the next sentence? And it's what I didn't like about it. Now that I've, as you mentioned, you hear people who love this art form talk about it over and over. And I spend my summers listening to people talk about how amazing it is and why they think it's amazing. Now I appreciate it. But it's because I have to stop thinking about the fact that there is no plot or that like, (laughs) you know, barbara Seville. all of a sudden you know you're in the last 3 minutes of the opera and now everything's fixed and everybody's happy and you know we forget about the rest of the 2 hours that just happened and how how <laughs> problematic it it was so yeah also there are a lot of problematic operas which is what i again because of their plots that that i have issues with but
1: what do you mean what in will you talk more about that um because i i agree with you and i i would love to hear what you think about that
0: I guess in problematic, it's the way that people are portrayed. Yeah, people are portrayed and how culture is now. And, you know, people like to say, well, that's just how it was back then. And I always have the issue is like, okay, well, then do we have to keep telling those stories or do we modernize those stories or like, do we keep playing cozy where, you know, there's nothing in my opinion that's positive about cozy? Barbara's not as bad, you know, but it's it's those things. And I think a lot of it has to do with the directors that I've worked with in some of those situations. Like the two times I did Cozy were with directors that were problematic in themselves, that were very misogynistic and negative, and were the ones that would make the the singers cry as often as they could. And, you know, and so I kind of like maybe put some of that feeling onto Cozy itself to be like, this was a negative experience. I find this. Arya and this concept of the show negative I find his concept of the way we're going to produce this show as a very negative experience. And so I think that's how I interpret a lot of traditional operas, I guess. But so it is a question like, do do we modernize it? Do we not modernize it? You know, it's a huge question I know that people discuss on a regular basis. And I'm sure it's big for for directors, too, if you get that possibility. I mean, Madam Butterfly, especially right now in today's age where there's so much, for some reason, hate against Asians, is Madam Butterfly the best one to do where she falls in love, he screws her over, and then she kills herself in the end? Like, do we really need to be showing that?
1: Yeah. You know, it's it's a really interesting question. I think that, you know, something you said, Cindy, that I... I think it's really interesting is I do, I do personally believe that so much of opera is about the process of it. You know, it is, it's as much about the rehearsal as it is about, Mm -hmm. about what you end up putting on stage, you know, especially because you're usually spending, you know, it's like a, I don't know, in most productions, it's, it's, it's at least a 15 to one ratio. You know, you have 30 Mm some days in the rehearsal room and you have two performances. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're, a huge most of your time is actually spent in the process of making the thing so if you're an artist that's engaged with the long-term project of the career it somehow has to be about you know how do you make the process as meaningful as possible or, or else you're just you know crushing yourself to get some show up you know and yeah. then everyone burns out or you become a monster. You know, you just become yeah. this theater monster and that's that is a terrible way to live. I mean, my gosh. You know. Uh so yeah, I mean I think I think there's an interesting question in in multiple ways about the the problematic to use your word, problematic nature of opera. Mm-hmm. Um and and that it's both the culture of making the opera and it's the operas themselves. You know, that is it's that that is deserved deserving of reconsideration, <laughs> you know,
0: but it's interesting now that we're discussing it, because I've done two. Well, uh, when I did Magic Flute, which a lot of people consider a very negative when the plot, um, not the best plot. But when I did it, I did it with a director who tried to take all of that into consideration. You know, he was like, we can't change the plot, but like, let's have discussions about it. And let's try to make this a positive experience. And what can we do to like, try to tell a story? And you're right, I think a lot of it has to do with that rehearsal room process and the way that people come about it that made it. I don't think of Magic Flu as a problem, whereas I think of Cozy as a problem, based Mm -hmm. on the, the directors. And I think that's why I had such a problem with Bohem for so many years. My first experience at CCM was a horrible one with that director. And so like, I've just never liked Bohem. But this last time I did it with a female director and it was a very collaborative experience and really great people. And I'm like, oh, if this was my first introduction to it, I probably would have liked it a lot better.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Which goes back to the whole director being kind of the overall getting the tone, getting the everybody connected together. Way to bring it back together, twin.
1: <laughs> <Right>.
0: <laughs> so I Very guess
1: if,
0: as you being not as you being, that was terrible. Um, you being a director, kind of going away from your COVID experiments of uh, getting people to like opera but as a director how how do you go about either choosing a piece to do or getting everybody involved to feel, do do you go in thinking I need to get everybody to feel the same thing or do you have a plan when you go in to address certain issues or connect to certain elements in the show?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's an enormous question. My God. (laughs) uh, And you've asked the exact wrong person because I am happy to talk to you for months about this i i think it's a you know it's a huge thing i mean first of all any production or any project is is like it's about a set it's like a puzzle right you're like trying to solve a bunch of different things not just Mm -hmm. like how do i make my concept of the piece you're trying to solve all of these issues like you know i'm doing this in a theater that doesn't have an orchestra pit so it doesn't matter how beautiful and radical my idea is you know, for Tosca, if the orchestra is in front of the singers, it's gonna block the audience, you know, from seeing the production. And so they're just gonna be staring at an oboist for most of the show. And so like <laughs> so it's like that thing of like there is no such thing as pure concept. There's no such thing as like, you know, you're 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 just trying to align a bunch of different variables or set of circumstances and trying trying to make the most meaningful, impactful work, you know, that that can emerge and you know the same thing with casting and the same thing with who your designers are and the same thing with what the budget for the pieces and all of these things. So, you know, I, I very much feel like concept or, you know, the production has to emerge from the set of variables that you're given and you're trying to, trying to solve that problem. And I think beyond that, you know, I, I think I very much believe that, um, that if you, you know, if you follow the, that set of prompts, you'll you'll get to something interesting. You know, if you really try and make something that's visually impactful, that really takes into consideration the, pe- the people that you have, the singers that you have, you know, because mm-hmm. I also think that part of it is like, uh, part of it is if you don't have the right, you know, y- you get into the first day of rehearsal and you realize the alchemy of the room, you know, each room has its own ecosystem. Each room has its own, dynamics to it and if the if you, the idea that you have going in that you've spent months working on with your designers and stuff doesn't mesh with the people that you have you have to change the idea you know it's like you just you have to really react to what's there and same thing with the stage manager it's like if you get into the process and you have somebody that doesn't you you the energy doesn't connect and sync and in, in every single way you have to you have to make it sync you know you have to or else it'll just, or else, you know, at a certain point you walk away and that person's in charge of it, you know, so like, <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, you don't yeah, have a choice. Yeah. Um, and so I guess I would say, you know, rather than I, that's always my way in to dealing with these things or, you know, um, and when it comes to picking projects, uh, that's sort of dependent on what I'm interested in at a time, but I think, for a long time, I was really interested in listening to classical music, like the challenge of listening to it, um, uh, because I when I first when I listen to opera, I don't generally know what's happening, you know, like I because I don't speak the languages and I don't like I know the plots and like I am I can study and I am a good student and stuff like that. But I when I watch it, I'm not really ever watching the plot go by, you know. I'm watching these people on stage in real time singing. I'm watching, you know, the dynamics, how successfully they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. I'm watching all of these sort of meta variable meta things in this the production. But, um, you know, I I'm trying to listen to the music and I'm trying to experience it. And I, I always wonder when I sit next to somebody in an opera, what are they experiencing? Are they watching the plot? Are they can they hear intricacy? Can they hear harmony? Can they hear what's happening in the orchestra um can they see all those colors i don't know i mean i think it's just such an interesting question it's like that philosophical question of like how do i know that the color red that i see is the color red that you mm-hmm. see oh
0: yeah about that um, plenty of times yeah
1: so i don't know i think those are those are sort of how i approach things a lot of a lot of questions and yeah i don't know <sighs> Does that answer anything? I I this is it's a very circuitous topic for me. I can, I can chase my tail for a while on it.
0: No, I think it's great because Cindy Cindy can do that whole reading the room, figure out the mood and things like that. I'm like almost completely blind to it. It has to be so <laughs> oh, really? strong and hit me over the head for me to even really pay much attention to it. But she works oh, with interesting. She works with actors and directors and has to like has to learn that stuff i work with techs and stuff i'm like can you just build this wall like i don't really care how you feel today like just build the wall and hang these lights (laughs) we're on a schedule so i don't know if she always had that ability or if she learned that ability because she spent so much time in an atmosphere where she needed to learn it so it's interesting to hear because i never go into a project worrying about how anybody's feeling or how everybody's gonna blend together it's just not anything that works and it doesn't happen in my world i go in all the time to a production with crew on stage thinking about that i mean i guess you don't yeah i I don't i'm sure yeah stage managers do they bring they bring food they bring coffee they're (laughs) friendly they're nice but like we bribe them yeah And I do that stuff because, you know, they're my crew and I need to take care of them. But if, you know, and I do if they have a bad day or whatever, but I usually need to, like, really be hit over the head with that before I realize they're having a bad day. Or have worked with them for, like, 10 years before I was like, ooh, yeah, okay. I know that look. So it's interesting Hmm. that, like, even if you come up with a lot of ideas and you have this set in mind and you have, like, this chemistry is going to go this way and you walk into a room and it's not you adapt to it and you figure out how to make it work and how to get people to work together and all. I think that that's just a sign yeah. of a really good director and and manager and all to be able to do that.
1: You know, I I don't mean to say that like I don't also like if somebody asked me to direct Tosca sit there and in in a vacuum think about like an interpretation, you know, or like go through a reading of it, you know. I definitely do that, but I think the whole thing about my experience in every situation has always been, doesn't matter how much time I spend doing it or how brilliant my idea is. Like I will walk into a room and it has to change or I'll like talk to one other person and it has to change, you know? Uh, And so, and so like start, it's like, if, and if you, and if you're rigid about it, I guess you can accrue enough power and like, you know, cachet in the industry that you can Demand what you want from the Paris Opera or whatever, but you know I. <laughs> but is that I'm a sure good experience?
0: Not... Is that a good experience that you're just like steamrolling? I don't think everyone?
1: so. Yeah, no. the people
0: I've worked with that are like that, like people just don't want to work with.
1: It's also, I think it's there's no there there because you know there's directors that I think all my life working at the Met has been an interesting thing because you you because I work on the stage staff there and and um you are sort of an a In-house team, directing team for the direct. So, if the the celebrity guest director comes in and does a production, you help them out or you restage their work. And uh, you know these directors that I would always be like, oh my gosh, they must be like, they're so famous, their productions are everywhere. You you must think that they just you know, you know, walk in on a cloud and you they're the most tortured individuals you've ever met. You know,
0: (laughs) I think everybody's
1: out to get them. They're like that my life is terrible like they're spiraling constantly um, so I you know it's better I think to to go in with that sense of it's all you know it's all gonna have to change anyways so you might as well have a good sense of
0: humor about it <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent I'd much rather work with a director like you than, than some others <laughs> tortured individuals yeah exactly Who yeah. <laughs> rolled everybody to do what there. they want <laughs> So can you tell us a little bit about some of these videos that you've created during the pandemic? Um, I know you just worked on one, does it have a name? Whatever the Broadstream project is, that um, has to do with ASL sign language and music videos. And then this Up up Until Now film, and I know you did the Glitch with Catapult Opera. What, What has that all been like? Like what got you started down that path? And made you think, well, maybe I can now do, learn how to do video editing and photography and put it all together.
1: Yeah. So when I was in school, I was really interested in photography. And, you know, I also come from some kind of practice of visual arts. You know, I I get a little uh, uh, squeamish, sheepish. I don't know what the right word is. Sheepish. When I talk about this stuff, because I don't mean like I don't mean to say like I'm a great painter or anything like that, but I've I've studied a lot of it and I really have like gone into the practice of it and I like it and it helps me be a better thinker and be a better maker of things, you know, Um, but I really was into visual arts and I really have always had a creative impulse and was sort of really into photography for a while and have always been flirting with the idea of like picking up a camera and just making something that I was interested in seeing, you know, and there's a million hurdles to these things. Expense is one of them, you know, um, uh, and just having time in the day, you know, you sort of really need to sit down and struggle at it for a while for it to start to become meaningful. And so one of the things that was really helpful in the pandemic is just, you know, gathering together with a group of people and saying out loud, I'm going to do this and then deciding to do it, you know? Uh, And that has led to a lot of other things, but, you know, um, I've always loved movies and as a theater director or as a stage director, you know, thinking about film as a medium or video as a medium is like one of the major ways I think that you can sort of like actively train your eye and actively train your sensibility So when I picked up a camera, there are certain parts of it that felt like, oh, you know, I can, I already have some kind of awareness of what I need to, you know, what I need to do to get started. And then, you know, it's been a lot of learning the technical stuff. And then really it's been once I invested the time and the resources to get myself equipment and learn all of the languages of it. I just have tried to collaborate with as many people and as many projects as I can, because part of it is like, I mean, the 10,000 hours thing is really cliche, but I do think there's something to sort of just work, you know, being sort of humble about it and getting on your feet and doing it. And Mm -hmm. it's like when you're a young director, obviously, you know, there's people that emerge fully formed, I guess, out into the world. But I think a lot of people just getting in, rooms you know it's like if you want to be good at any of these crafts you know you just have to get around people and do it and be bad and bad and bad and bad and bad until one day you're a little less bad and so right now I'm involved in a bunch of different projects and a lot of them just have to do with different collaborators that I've had throughout the years you know also feeling a similar impulse towards making something um, you know and also having time on their hands to really put the put the energy and intellectual firepower behind making it real. Um, And I've spent a lot of this pandemic, you know, being very self-motivated and getting projects going and just saying, let's do it. You, you, you know, you have this idea, you want to do it. Let's do it. I'll do it with you. You know, I, I want to work. I want to work. And it's not been very institutionally sanctioned, which I like, you know, but it also means it's pretty much, you know, you creating your own energy. So um, right now, you referenced the Broadstream video. I'm engaged with a project with a bunch of collaborators. Jessica Berry, who's the executive director at Prototype, Beth Morrison. Um, Kevin Newberry, who's an amazing director. Um, and Brandon Kazen maddox who's a, an artist, dancer, and who... Has grown up with ASL as a as a fluent language because he had um, uh, uh, you know was raised in a deaf community and um, so right now we're working just sort of in a, a series of experimental videos about like asking questions about how does ASL integrate with with music you know how do you how can you express dimensionally with with nuance in that kind of communicative vein you know in in the language of in of asl or in various the dialects of asl um and how do you you know if somebody is signing a song what does that mean how do you make a asl music video you know if sound is such a component if rhythm is such a component how do you communicate those things there's a lot of I think there's a lot of really interesting conceptual stuff to explore there. So that's one thing up until now is also a project that is also rooted in that idea. It's about community, you know, sort of sort of weird fantasy community thing. Um, uh, And then the glitch, that was something that was very much a project of elbow grease and just (laughs) trying to figure out a set of problems. You know, that was very much a, a set of like, early pandemic bravado of like, let's commission an opera and do it. And we'll all be distanced and we'll all do it in our own homes. And it'll be, it'll be excellent and we'll get great singers, but it turns out, you know, you can't ask every single person to like film themselves and expect what comes out of it to be like, what you want it to be. <laughs> yeah. be anything other than 25 random things put together, you know, uh, <laughs> And so the glitch was very much this challenge of, okay, like, how do you conduct a pianist in contemporary music with a score that's never been recorded before, you know, with a tremendous lag in the video, you know, with bad internet connections, like you can't do it. So how do you solve that problem? And so every little thing we tried to do had to, had 10 layers of problem solving to it. But that's been, that's been the pandemic for me. It's just been trying to figure you know, like, Trying to work my way through a bunch of problems, <laughs> but I think that's sort of been everybody's thing, right?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. it's just life. It? I yeah. think that's just life. Not even pandemic. I no, know, but pandemic yeah. especially because, like, I mean, I guess Stacy not so much because she's had the same job through the whole pandemic, you know. But all of a sudden, to have all of these projects that we are working on and identities that we had kind of taken away, and then have to figure out what to do next in order to kind of keep that identity or to like create a new identity ish, you know, and like to keep creating the art that we wanted to create is figuring out, okay, now how do I create that without having the traditional way that I've been creating it? What do I do next? You know, so it's awesome that you found that. And I feel like I'm starting to find it, but I've similar, I mean, I was going to say similarly, I've been doing a lot more videos. I haven't done as much of the technical stuff that you've done I still like manage the people they just happen to be in front of a camera as opposed to on stage but I've never I mean I didn't even know what a gimbal was up until January and now I know all about gimbals which is kind of amazing yes. you know but <laughs> yeah. things that I never thought that I would have to learn or that would even exist in my world but we just wanted to continue to create and so this is now what it means well ish yeah
1: I um When it all started in the fall, there was this moment where I was like, oh my God, like the 10th Opera Company has just released this announcement that was like, we're thrilled to announce that our 2021 season has been reimagined as a film festival. (laughs) Yes. Yep. I was like, what are we talking about here? And I really (laughs) like try to sit and think about, I was like, how, like, does anybody realize how hard it is to make a
0: film? Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. Well, I I think the opposite. I have a group of people I'm working with right now who are going to put on a musical who have never done it before. And I'm like, do you guys realize it's not it's not quite as simple as you think. Like, there's a lot of shit that goes on to put on a live hour, two hour play with audience. Like, that's a big thing.
1: Yeah, that's very true. It'd be like what you should get the crew of a film set to do like get whatever the next like marvel movie film set is and get them to do like a production of guys and dolls and then (laughs) like you know or get them to put on magic flute or whatever and then (laughs) that would be awesome magic magic flute crew to make the next marvel movie and see who does better
0: (laughs) (laughs) that would be such a cool um like reality tv show You know, like you follow these two groups of people around to figure out who's going to do it better. (laughs) First of all, they've got to learn to speak each other's language because I'm still learning some of the movie TV language in my current job because they kept calling things whalers. And I'm like, oh, a hog troth. And they're like, yeah, whaler. And I'm like, God, I've always called it a hog troth. It took me weeks to figure out what you guys were talking about.
1: (laughs) I love that. I love I love crew speak. It is such like I never feel more accomplished or fluent in a thing until like i understand the short the shorthand for everything you know in a crew
0: Uh yeah when the crew talks and you actually know what they're talking about you're like okay i feel well that's how i'm starting to feel about like filming stuff you know when i hear when i hear these people talk and i'm like oh i'm i'm actually following this conversation this is really awesome yeah
1: (laughs) it's it's very cool it feels, feels yeah it feels empowering
0: it's it's very empowering well we're getting close to the end we didn't even talk about some of the stuff i wanted to talk about oh
1: no. <laughs> we always I know. do that
0: <laughs> i know well, there's just it's so hard, many yeah. things to talk about but i was i i know i'm excited about these these videos that you're doing and i am especially excited nice. about the broadstream one um because how do you put asl with opera when so many people would not even consider the two going together um but our last question do you have any twin stories?
1: Uh, do I have any twin stories? Let me see. I don't know that I have any. I've known a, a few twins in my life. Um, they've always been peculiar people. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but but in sort of a very valuable way, you know, like. Uh, I don't know, I think trying to think like they always they bring an energy to any social dynamic that that makes you realize like no matter how good of friends you think you are with an individual like you'll never have the same kind of like you know unexplainable bond as these human beings you know as like the the set of twins do or something like that and maybe it's not a friendly bond but maybe it's like there's some (laughs) level of connection you know that's like like pretty intense and profound um
0: yeah our husbands have just accepted that
1: (laughs) yeah that must be well yeah uh the other one is of course in harry potter i always loved the weasley twins
0: yeah george and
1: fred like george and fred there's something that was like extraordinary like i you know the i don't know that i really like that ending of harry potter really hit me very well i don't like, yeah. except the one thing I will say is I got very emotional. I got very verklempt uh, when one of the twins died.
0: That, that was like the, the only time in the movie where I cried. When I was yeah. like, anything else could have happened, but not losing one of the twins. Yeah. That's just I not know. A good,
1: well, there was something about it where you could tell that like from a from the big, you know, zoomed out plot perspective, like you knew somebody important had to die. And you knew that it wasn't going to be one of the, it wasn't going to be like one of the main people.
0: Yeah. But they right. did
1: want to kill somebody that was sort of in the second circle or third circle, but they, they, like they, you know, whatever. She happened to choose the one, you know, the one that would had like maximum emotional impact, which are, you know, clever <laughs> or whatever. Not,
0: not nice, but clever. Yeah. Clever. yeah that, that's a good point. That's the one that would have made the most. Sense without destroying people, but also getting that emotional response. What
1: do people twins. usually say with with their twin stories?
0: It's all over the place. Some people have yeah. some twin stories. Some don't. Some grew up with twins. We've actually interviewed two twin two sets of twins with both of them on the podcast. Wow. I think so. One of them, like her grandma, was a twin. And that she and still, she didn't, still like, didn't like. Sometimes they would get the two confused. Um, some of them had like twin best friends, or some of them like would date a twin, and you know, like how they, um, you know, would play tricks on each other. Get each other confused. Some people talk about like if they knew me first or Stacy first, like what it was like meeting the other one and how confusing it can be, or like what the similarities are. I just—it's funny that you said. Would you call us peculiar people? Because. twins are such a uncommon thing that it is interesting to to hear people's stories about twins because we always Mm -hmm. felt like not necessarily like monkeys in a cage but definitely one of those experiences where we knew we were always so different than others that it was like even in our our whole community you know if someone said the twins it was always stacy and i so like everyone knew who we were even if we didn't know who they were because we were like these set of twins you Know, uh-huh. and yeah, and our yeah. poor younger right. brother was like, Oh, you're the twin, si- twins' brother, yeah. <laughs> so lucky me, <laughs> interesting.
1: I am, um, I, you know, I use the word peculiar in a very positive way. Like, oh no, we're with like it. Weird. No,
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm good with weird, I'm, I'm good with that I too. Think... I'm a nerd and twins, a nerd, and we fully accept our nerdums,
1: right? Yeah, <laughs> we should all be more weird. Do you think that the world has gotten weirder during the pandemic? Like, do you think that people have gotten weirder?
0: I don't know if people have gotten weirder. I think some of the dumb fucks have come out seeing what the <laughs> world has gone to. But I think people have been stuck at home for so long; they have having to figure out who they really are and what they actually feel and how they relate with themselves. That some mm. of that is coming mm. out.
1: Interesting. I would in my I you know I don't I don't have any like evidence to back this up, but my assumption would be that because people have spent so long in their homes that this sort of normalizing social, like normal social interaction, because it's absent, you know, has now left people like talking, you know, like without like getting, getting behavioral responses from other people, like maybe you just become a total, totally bizarre human. I don't know i'm I'm really right. fascinated to see what's about to happen when it all emerges back, you know
0: well, that and I'm really interested to see in like five or ten years from now that all of these kids that have been one, two, three, four, five years old, oh yeah, because they've had that social interaction taken away from them, and they've had those really difficult years taken away from them, and even you know like your high school years, you know all of a sudden you've been in a home stuck with your family for. 15 months or whatever, you know, and you haven't had that social interaction, what is that generation going to look like going out into the world? Or what are these toddlers Mm going to look like? All of a sudden, they're going to be stuck into a a classroom with 30 other kids who they've never seen before, you know, who like have never been around other kids before. It's going to be a Mm -hmm. weird, weird experience. I just think about that who's like three and has never like been around other children. Yeah, besides you know, the cousins, it, like once a year, right now. Yeah, she saw her cousins once, you know, because of my father in law's death. But besides that, she hasn't been around any other human beings, you know. Well, so kids, it, kids her age, she's around her parents. No well, other her parents. But yeah, even yeah. us, you wouldn't. Yeah. You know, my <laughs> sister in law wouldn't let us be around for a year. You know, like we saw her yeah. on Zoom, and that was it. So yeah. Well, it right? probably is going to bring out the weirdness of people, the physical <laughs> structure of the world. For how many years are we gonna see half rubbed off stickers on the ground that say stand six feet apart? And, oh, and yeah. how many of how many of the uh cafes that have moved outside and blocked off lanes in the street? Like are those lanes gonna stay closed? Are those makeshift cafes just gonna become permanently makeshift cafes that are out in the middle of the sidewalk? They just restriped fourth street where I live to give more room for the tables in the parking lots i think that's last? a positive i think They're that's a positive, i hope yeah.
1: that's a positive i hope that's permanent i mean we were in um patricia and i patricia's parents live in santa barbara so we stayed for a while out in santa barbara with them and they shut down we were there in the summer before they sort of reclosed california um and they had shut down state street this main drag and everything had gone and it was just walkable like and it was so lovely wow. it was like why would anyone ever go back to this? And I don't. I honestly don't think that anyone misses. You know, like the traffic is can reroute. It's fine. Yeah, you know?
0: that's. Yeah. was Terrible to drive. Anyways, you'd hit every light. Everyone crossing the street. You could never get in. Yeah. Anywhere. Totally. There's plenty of other streets to take. It's Santa Barbara. There's there's a, just go two blocks up. There's a great street that didn't have hardly any. Yeah. Traffic. Now it. Will, in fact, but... yeah.
1: So we'll see. <laughs> I'll be interested
0: we'll see a a year from now hopefully hopefully
1: i think the mask thing i hope that stays like i think from now on if i'm sick i'm gonna wear a mask now that it's not weird to wear a mask i'm like if i'm in new york and i'm sick on public transit
0: i'm wearing a mask i'm gonna yeah seriously i know so many people who have said that like well in the years i I mean the asian culture they do it all the time Because Mm -hmm. it's not just keep yourself from getting sick. Yeah, Yeah. keep everybody else from getting sick. You're in a tight little island. Like, there's only so much room. Protect the people around you. Yeah. And we all have super cool masks now. I mean, we've been gathering masks (laughs) for over a year. Don't tell me you don't have a mask you can wear. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I was actually thinking I need need more masks. I keep getting compliments on my mask, and I'm going to have to start switching them out because I can't ask answer all the doctor who questions i'm getting <laughs> <laughs> it's a very very big nerdy issue i have that's a big problem yeah <laughs> yeah well, well we'll have to see how things go i think stacy's sending me text messages saying we hit our hour yep but...
1: <laughs> okay yeah i'm sure we have
0: that's fine thank you so much for for oh joining gosh. us tonight marcus thank and having, having this me. awesome conversation i know what I everyone I had to remember to turn off the highlight because I was so excited about everything you were saying. Like half of my notes are <laughs> <have> bolded. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> well, everyone now has to go check out Mark's, Marcus's website and the Osea website, which is, oh my gosh. OseaPresents.com. OseaPresents. Osea presents. Osea presents. Yep. I'm yeah. going to have it tagged and everything. So it'll be easy for you guys to just click on it. Yeah, but there's really awesome videos on there that you can watch and support. And we will continue to ask the question, what is opera and how do we get opera out there? Because it's yes. what we want. I was going to say we all want, I guess not all of us, but most of us want that. Even <laughs> if they don't know that they want it. They, most The problem is most people
1: don't know that they want it, but they do.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. a good point. If we got it out there more, then they would know that they want it and that they actually do like opera. You know, I've been doing that. opera for fifteen years, and I just kind of figured out that I do actually like it. So, <laughs> you know, yeah,
1: I hear you. <laughs> I hear you.
0: Good one. Just yeah, we'll get we'll get others to that point eventually. So, <laughs> yeah. <good> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Marcus, and we will yeah. touch base so that you and I can chat about um, all of our other exciting things. Yeah, yep. and the other anytime. stuff you guys work on.
1: <laughs> just really, anytime you know, I. Pretty computer bound most of the day, but if you give me five minutes warning or whatever, I can probably jump on a call. Okay. I'm sure your life is just trying to figure out schedules right now. So
0: (laughs) well, after this week I'm good. Uh we
1: finished filming on Saturday.
0: If she figures out the schedules. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Once once I do that part, we'll be fine. (laughs) Uh, awesome. Thank you so much, and talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at twinstalktheater. Theatre. Music, Dance MacAub, is provided by Kevin McLeod of Ncomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.